this is our third out of four in this short and rather different series. And I kind of need to emphasize that tonight, that this is a different series. We're not working our way through, for those who may be visiting, we're not working our way through a particular book of the Bible. We're not reading anything specifically. Uh, this is a thematic series, and we felt that Sunday nights in the summer lend themselves to that. But it's a third in our fourth, uh, looking at the need to slow down. Because what we've said is, if we are going to survive the busyness and the demands and the pressures of life in a modern or a postmodern contemporary society, then discovering or rediscovering the importance of Sabbath and rest is absolutely essential. Sabbath isn't just a good idea. It's a God idea. It's a God-given gift that has been given to his created order that encourages us to stop. To just press pause for a while. For a day in the week, ideally. But we've also thought about Sabbath time. An afternoon. A Sabbath walk. A moment. Because life can and does sometimes spiral out of control. There is always more to do. We all know that phrase, if only I had more time. But Sabbath, if it's truly kept, will actually subvert the tyranny of clock and chore. You can even restore your soul as you restore Sabbath. It is that critical is what we've been suggesting. But for all of that to happen, we must learn to stop. We must intentionally cease from work and grasp this gift with both hands. It's a choice we make, we've said. It's a decision we take. Because remember what we said last week, any deep change in the way that you and I live begins with a deep change in how we think. We need to think differently about Sabbath. And that's what this series is all about. Because again, as we highlighted last Sunday evening, we are transformed, how? By the renewing of our minds. By allowing God to change how we think about various issues, including this one which is the subject of this series. So Sabbath is a God-given gift that encourages us to stop. But what should we do? And we began to think about this last week. But what should we do with this kairos time? This gift of time? Because Sabbath does need to be approached with a positive attitude rather than a negative mindset. And we did say that depending on our upbringing and our background, some of us approach the whole subject of Sabbath with a negative mindset. But we actually need to approach it with such a positive attitude. It has to be seen as an opportune time for doing things that actually restore our souls. So it's not about killing time. It's about phrase that John and I talked about last Sunday night after service. It's about redeeming time. It's about sanctifying time. It's about setting it apart as different from all other time. So let me suggest five things 
you should stop to do on Sabbath. Now last week we looked at three things you should not do on Sabbath. Now let's just get a wee bit of interaction. Can anybody remember the three things that I suggested we should not do on Sabbath? Pardon? Work was one of them. Worry was another one. Commerce was the third. That's impressive. Thank you. That encourages me no end. But let me give you, those are three things that we said, just don't go there. But let me give you five things you should do on Sabbath. And we, touched, we have touched on some of these, but I want to add some others. And then I want to concentrate on the fifth one this evening. First, you should stop from your daily routines and gather with others to celebrate. To engage in an act of corporate worship. This, what we do here every Sunday is an essential Sabbath practice. Because this is, or this certainly should be, a renewing, refreshing, restoring activity. I hope that is how you find Or that's how you experience when we meet together. It restores you, refreshes you, it renews you. Secondly, you should stop to hear God. Sabbath is a time for listening. Now it's not that God is more likely to speak on Sabbath or during Sabbath as opposed to any other day of the week. But if we set this day apart, and if we set this time apart, if we approach Sabbath differently from all other time, and as I say, that's the essential part here. If we approach Sabbath differently from all other time, then it is time uniquely poised for God's presence. On Sabbath, we may treat time with an extra measure of reverence, and therefore we live with a higher degree of attentiveness. Because we're stopping, choosing to stop, to listen. And I know we've said this before, but it's a fact. God is always speaking. The problem is, we are not always listening. We live with noise, and silence is becoming more and more of an alien experience. And therefore, Sabbath time, a day, a moment, an afternoon, a walk, provides us with a great opportunity to practice a deeper listening If we ever expect, says Mark Buchanan, to see a voice, this day, Sabbath, ranks highest. So stop to listen. Third, we should stop to remember. We touched on this last week. But this is why communion for me on Sabbath is so important. Because it's when we stop to reflect on our freedom One of the reasons behind one of the commandments we looked at last week. We stop to remember our freedom and to reflect on all that God has done for us. And that's what we did this morning round this table. And someone has said that busyness erodes memory. And so as Christians, remembering well is essential to an authentic living faith because whenever we forget or lose sight of the cross and all that it expresses and all that it reminds us of, we are in grave danger of losing more than our religion. We need to stop to remember on Sabbath. We do that primarily around this table. Fourth, we stop to anticipate Now there is an anticipation aspect to communion. We eat and drink until he comes, is what we say. 
there's a forward-looking dimension attached to the communion meal. But in Hebrews 4, the writer talks about a Sabbath rest that remains for the people of God. Do you know something? Any Sabbath we enjoy now is only a shadow. It's a foreshadow of another Sabbath that lies beyond this world. We do have an opportunity to rest now, today, this evening. And that's great. But it's nothing compared to the rest we will one day experience in the future. A Sabbath truly kept provides a glimpse of forever. As we embrace and observe Sabbath now, we prepare ourselves for heaven and we anticipate a promised eternal Sabbath rest for the people of God. Sabbath keeping retains perspective. It sets our minds on things above. So stop to celebrate. Stop to listen. Stop to remember. Stop to anticipate. And finally, stop to play. Now, one of the things that we might do, could do, and should do on Sabbath, I want to suggest this evening, is play. And that's what I want, and there's a number of people now starting to smile at me. And, there's, and so I want to spend the rest of our time together looking at what I realise is a rather novel subject for a Sunday evening. Play. Stopping to waste time. Now, how do you react to this to that is this an appropriate topic to preach on as part of a sermon is this a sermon or am I just sharing some thoughts and reflections on a theme it's probably more the latter and so what I'm really doing this evening is I'm just putting this out there I wasn't really expecting so many people to be here for a start. But I'm just, putting, I'm just putting this out there for you to take away and just think about and reflect on. And, and the great thing about this is, this is my last Sunday for a number of weeks. <laughs> so I can just run away after this. But how does a phrase like stopping to waste time sit with you? Does it not jar a little with our evangelical Protestant work? work ethic mindset I I have shared and I did say this at the beginning of the series I have shared what I'm about to share before in a different context and it was a real challenge for me putting together something on the subject of play and yet whenever you think about it a person at play is simply a human being expressing an aspect of their God given nature We know as Christians that we're we're called or we're created to work. And we're going to think about that on the 29th of August, on the evening of, of that week. But I also want to suggest that we are meant to play. We're not just workers, we're players. And I want you to think back to when you were a kid. That might be hard for some, but I want you to think back to when you were a kid. Do you remember... How you used to just play. A number of people nodding at me. For hours on end. You made up games. You built huts. You kicked a ball against a wall. You sometimes spent whole days just, what did you do today? Played. Just played. 
Creating, making, exploring, having fun. Do you remember fun? <laughs> Just having fun. Do you know, when I was growing up, uh, we, we lived opposite playing fields near a housing estate in Balnehinch. And I can remember leaving the house in the morning with a ball under my arm and just heading across to the hockey and football pitches and I didn't come home until it was dark except to eat and then went back and all I did was play. When was the last time we just took a day to play? Do you know, as you get older it all changes, doesn't it? And I know at one level it has to. Please let hear that. And yet, isn't it so true and sad that one of the first things to die in adults is our playfulness? Not in all of us. I know some of us are still just big kids at heart, and I'm reluctant to look in any direction. But the majority of adults reach a place where they feel that life is all work and no play. Or, and this is a really common, we play, but there's got to be a point to it now. We play with our kids, why? Well, to entertain them or to keep them out from below our feet. We play to get fit or lose weight. We play to cut our handicap or to win competitions. We play to spend time with others. And that's okay because at least we're playing. But whenever we feel there's got to be a benefit to it, a purpose in it, then maybe, just maybe at that point, it ceases to be play. I actually think we need to view play as an end in itself. As I say, I'm throwing out lots. Please come back at me later. You see, part of the problem of that in seeing play as an end in itself is that it feels totally irresponsible. Surely life is far too short and it's far too serious to play. And so we justify it. We justify our play There's got to be a reason to it. Otherwise, I'm going to feel guilty if I do it. Sometimes we actually need to do some things just for the sake of doing them. Not because there is some usefulness attached to them, but because they might just make us feel more alive. More ourselves. It happens to me whenever I I spend hours in the sea at Donegal. That's whenever I feel fully alive that's whenever I feel more myself whenever I'm just jumping in over and through waves let me read you something along these lines from one writer we do some things just for the simple sake of doing them there's no particular usefulness connected with them they don't need to be done nobody insists and the world's left unchanged by our doing or not doing them. They add nothing to the gross national product. They enhance our intellect, not one bit. They don't make us worse or better neighbours. They don't improve our figures, hone our skills, or increase our red blood cells. And if they do, it's a sheer accident, not the thing we set out to accomplish. Accomplishment is the least of our concerns. But they might just make us feel more alive might just make us feel more ourselves. And that's youths enough. Indeed, many other uses might follow this. But I want to make something very clear. Though play benefits us, the minute we do it for its benefit is the minute it ceases to be play. Play is subversive, really. 
It subverts business as usual. Do you know, as, as Christians, I think we have been stereotyped by culture as being uptight, as being repressed. And therefore, I want to suggest we need to discover a theology of play. What does a theology of play look like? It's important to have a right theology of work, but what about a right theology of play? Hi, guys. Thankfully, there has been some work done on this. Because uh, I, I know what some of you might be thinking, and, and you're right to think this. Let me ask you a question. Is there any mention of play in the Bible? Okay. Is there any mention of play in the Bible? It's a good question. And I could never do it justice in just a few moments. But a number of years ago, someone wrote a book called The Christian at Play which is a really thorough exploration of this issue. But let me read you a brief summary that captures his perspective. And some of the words are on the screen here. The evidence he says for play in the Bible is extensive. Yet we have, for the most part, failed to recognize it or act upon it because our work-dominated culture has biased our interpretation. We have mistakenly, he says, interpreted the Song of Songs to just be about God's love for his people, unable to consider that it could actually be a song in praise of lovers at play. We have limited the Sabbath to that necessary pause that refreshes, failing to understand its prior rationale as reflecting the pattern of God himself. We have failed to note the playful counterpoint that this festival and feasting, music and dance provide and are meant to provide. We have failed to see their function to be that of surprising us with joy. We have understood the Old Testament custom of hospitality solely in ethical terms, viewing it as necessary for a traveller's well-being, but failing to note its wider context in play. As Christians, have we failed to let Scripture speak authoritatively to us about our need to play what do you think there is no doubt I would suggest that that for centuries some Christians have been quite suspicious of play but there has been a rethink taking place and Christian theology is being challenged and asked questions to reassess some of those suspicions because how do we interpret those times in our lives when we play what is going on there? And let me be really clear that we're, we're not talking about diving, and, and I really do want to emphasize it, we're not talking about diving headlong into some immoral Hellenistic approach to play that characterizes so much of our society. But we are suggesting, or I am suggesting, an approach that seriously considers our culture, considers tradition, but always filters our reflections on anything that we experience, including play, through a biblical lens. Because we've always got to bring to bear God's word on how we live our lives. How do we understand play? But why is it all so important? Well, the reality is, We live in a world, we live at a time in history in which work causes two extremes. Some people say work causes us ulcers because we're far too busy. Busyness. And we're stressed. Or else, how many people do we meet 
who are bored and fed up with their jobs. Just no sense of purpose and meaning found there. And in addition, everything has become about objectives and routines. And therefore, we need to rediscover play, if for no other reason than it offers freedom to the human spirit. We need to play because all work and no play makes most of us, never mind Jack, rather dull. C.S. Lewis, he talked about play. I don't know if any of you have read his reflections on play. But he talked about play being the Christian's opportunity. And I think this, this incident in his classic The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, just after Susan and Lucy had watched Aslan's horrific death, it's brilliant. Because after they witness his resurrection, does anyone know what the first thing Aslan does with the children is? He plays. Here's a reading from it. O children, said the lion, I feel my strength coming back to me. O children, catch me if you can. He stood for a second, his eyes very bright, his limbs quivering, lashing himself with his tail. And then he made a leap high over their heads and he landed on the other side of the table, laughing, though she didn't know why. Lucy scrambled over to reach him. Aslan leaped again. A mad chase began. Round and round the hilltop he led them, now hopelessly out of their reach, now letting them almost catch his tail, now diving between them, now tossing them in the air with his huge and beautifully velveted paws and catching them again, and now stopping unexpectedly so that all three of them rolled over together in a happy, laughing heap of fur and arms and legs. And whether it was more like playing with a thunderstorm or playing with a kitten, Lucy could never make up her mind. And the funny thing was that when all three finally lay together, panting in the sun, the girls no longer felt in the least tired or hungry or thirsty. And I love that. And the reason I love that is because whenever you play the real world gets left behind for a moment. You forget your tiredness, your hunger, your thirst. You forget your busyness, your boredom, and the list of things you've got to do. And it is only for a bit, because play is not about running from the real world. It's not about mindless escapism, but it is recognizing that when you do play, the concerns of everyday life, just for a while, come to a standstill in the mind of the players. And that's not such a bad thing. G.K. Chesterton, key Christian thinker, writer, referred to as the apostle of common sense, said this, I for one have never left off playing, and I wish there were more time to play. I wish we did not have to fritter away on frivolous things like lectures and literature. The time we might have given to serious, solid and constructive work, like cutting out cardboard figures and pasting tinsel on them. Do you know, we can't cut out cardboard all the time. We all know that. But there probably are more than a few of us who need to play a little more. And Sabbath provides that opportunity. Mark Buchanan suggests that play... And Sabbath are joined at the hip. And sometimes we rest the best when we play the hardest. But what exactly is play? How do you define play? Well, therein lies an altogether separate challenge. Because in the words of George Sheehan, perhaps even more difficult than discovering play is defining it. 
And I think we all have a fair idea what it means to play without getting lost in wordy or complex definitions. So here's my advice. Just go home tonight and kick a ball against the wall. Get out the monopoly, run like the wind, fly a kite, or cut and paste a few figures to a sheet. Go from here. And at times, yes, stop to celebrate, stop to listen, stop to remember, stop to anticipate, all key. But don't forget to stop to play. Because whenever we restore Sabbath, it may also just restore, even save our lives. I want us to close with a prayer from Robert Banks in his book, The Tyranny of Time. Let's pray. God our Father, you are the maker of everything that exists, the author of the world of nature and of all living things, the creator of both time, space and time. Without you, there would be no past, present or future, no summer or winter, spring or harvest, seed time or autumn, no morning or evening, no months, no years. But because you give us the gift of time, we have the opportunity to think and to act, to plan and to pray, to give and to receive, to create and to relate, to work and to rest, to strive and to play, to love and to worship. Help us to view time more as you view it and to use it more as you intend. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And please do come back at me. Thanks very much.